just in case you were wondering where we are, let them know. going on ladies and gentlemen this is your boy Croft. how's everybody doing out there today listen i am so so excited to welcome you to the child welfare raising awareness podcast listen y'all this is the podcast that keeps you in the know about all things child welfare This podcast is brought to you by Tuskegee University, the Department of Social Work, and I will be your host. That's right, your boy Croft. So if you are a student, current child care professional, educator, or parent, know this, you have landed in the right place because this is the podcast show where we will raise awareness about interesting child welfare-related topics. Now listen, I will be bringing on various guest experts to discuss real-world topics that relates to child welfare just to equip you for practice. I must say, y'all, it's going to be quite interesting to say the least. I look forward to seeing you soon. This is your boy Croft. We'll be hollering at you later. <laughs> Peace. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is your boy Croft. How's everybody doing out there today? Listen, y'all, you know we're here once again. We're here once again on the podcast that everybody needs to be listening to. I'm talking about the Child Welfare Raising Awareness Podcast. This is the podcast that keeps you in the know about all things child welfare, y'all. And this podcast is brought to you by Tuskegee University, the Department of Social Work. And I'm so glad to be your host. That's right, your boy Croft. That's me. And today, y'all, today we got a special guest. We have a special guest in the house. I'm talking about Mr. Carl Dakara Daniel, y'all. Let me tell you a little bit about Dakara. Yeah, she is a rock star. She is a rock star. And, you know, we want to make sure that everybody out there know, first of all, she is a TU alum. Let's get that out there so everybody will know it. Let me tell you a little bit about Dakara. Dakara Daniel, BSW, LMSW, is a licensed social worker and adjunct instructor of social work at Tuskegee University. Ms. Daniel instructs the social work elective courses, child welfare, patterns of drug abuse, rural social work, and independent study, the SBIRT simulation Stimulation is implemented into the patterns of drug abuse course, allowing students the opportunity to learn evidence-based techniques and experience real-life intervention with patents, students, with patients, students are available, are able to learn and utilize motivational interviewing techniques and prevention methods to support patient behavior change. The SBIRT stimulation permits students the opportunity to learn specific assessment tools and motivational interviewing techniques. Ms. Daniel received her bachelor's in social work from Tuskegee University and her master's in social work from the University of Alabama. 
Now, prior to her position at Tuskegee University, Ms. Daniel was a senior social worker with the Lee County Department of Human Resources, Child Protective Services, where she was responsible for the assessment, investigation, and intervention regarding cases of child abuse and neglect, including sexual abuse. Ms. Daniel also has a background in military social work and information and library services. Ms. Daniel strongly believes her ultimate purpose is to empower students to reach their aspirations and full potential. Ms. Daniel is committed to fostering student success and supporting students as they transform throughout their college experience. In keeping with social work values and ethics, Ms. Daniel is committed to lifelong learning and professional development to maintain competence in an ever evolving field. And she is y'all, and she is the awardee of the Helping Hearts and Hand Award. So without further ado, y'all, let's give it up for none other than Miss Dakara Daniel. Miss Dakara, how you doing? Oh, thank you. That was a lovely introduction. <laughs> thank you. So how are you? I'm doing okay. How about you? Oh, it's the greatest day of my life. Listen, you know, somebody didn't make it, but we did. As long as he's waking us up, we got, we still, he still ain't through with us yet. You don't, you understand right. what I'm saying? That's right. You understand That's right. what I'm saying? So you got a lot of stuff going on. You got a lot of stuff going on. So yes. uh, uh, what I need for you to do, first of all, is tell us a little bit about your social work career and your connection to Tuskegee University Social Work Department. Oh, wow. Oh, it goes back so far. <laughs> My connection with Tuskegee University, period. Mm. Uh, oh, how far can I go? <laughs> hey, listen, all, take it far back as you want to. <laughs> well, first of all, I was... Um, I was born on the campus of Tuskegee University, actually. Um, mm. I was born in Andrews Hospital back in 86. And then later on after that, my mother worked on the campus of Tuskegee University. Uh, so I ran through Kresge Center as a child, selling Girl Scout cookies, running up and down the hallways, the stairways. And then later on, um, I wanted actually wanted to go to FAMU, but I ended up at Tuskegee which was really the best decision of my life. So ended up going there, graduating there from the social work department. And then I don't know where the opportunity to teach there came. Um, and then before that, I worked at a nursing home, uh, social work assistant, and then later on uh, went to the VA, worked there with veterans and families, and then found my way, as I said, I would never work in child welfare and I ended up there anyway and worked there for about four years as a senior social worker in child welfare. Wow. Wow. Listen, you, 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 you saying, and, and, you know, running up and down the halls of Tuskegee university, you were that Tuskegee brat, you know, you grew up there and yeah. uh, you said, so why did you say, why did you say you would never be in social work? Because my mother worked uh, 
in child welfare. And she, oh, wow. My mom was phenomenal in it from what I'm told. Um, many times I remember my mom, she would come home really late. And me and my brother, my older sister would be at home. My older sister would have to cook us meals or pick us up from school because my mom was out working cases. She was in foster care. And she would come home with these stories about things she had encountered. And we thought they were boring. <laughs> like, we don't want to hear this. Um, and then years later, I became the same thing, you know? So I didn't want to do it. I, I watched my mom almost faint one time. She was so stressed and overwhelmed with uh, work. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do the, jo the job that she does. But I heard that she was phenomenal. Her children loved her. Her families loved her. Um, and I heard she was phenomenal in court as well. So I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then I ended up uh, getting into it later on. Wow. Wow. That is that is something. That is mm -hmm. something. Because, I mean, the fact that, you know, you grew up in it, you saw, you know, you, you, when your mom came home, you saw the stress that she had right. dealing with different cases and everything. I mean, and, and you're just looking and like, oh, my goodness. Like you said, you know, it was some cases were maybe interesting and some were boring, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, you you dealt with it. Yes, yes, and we were jealous. We were me and my youngest brother. We were jealous because we felt like my mom was spending more time with these kids, you know. Um, <laughs> wow. And there were kids that went to school with me that you know they used to come to me when I was in high school, middle school, like my you know is it possible that your mom can become my social worker because our social worker is not doing anything. And I heard your mom was good. Like, can you talk to her and see if she can help us out? So it was a little bit of jealousy there because <laughs> my mom wow. took, too. She took good care of her kids that were in her cases. Not to say she neglected us, but, you know, there were times when she would, I remember she would get home pretty late. Mm -hmm. um, we had mm -hmm. at my grandmother's house or stay with my older sister because um, my mom was out there working those cases. She was taking care wow. of his kids. I get it now. I get it why she was doing it now. Man, man. So, so uh, during your time in social work, I mean, you know, you thinking about those cases your mom had. Give me, give us a little bit about, uh, like, uh, maybe one of your most memorable, you know, cases that was kind of hard on you. Oh my goodness! Um, there's so many. I think the most one that stood out was, I can't remember exactly what year it was, but there was a, I guess you can call it a snowstorm that came through Alabama this particular year. And uh, it was so bad that they were asking us to stay off the roads, asking citizens to stay off the road unless you were an emergency vehicle. And I was on call that, that week and I was so worried. I was like, what's gonna happen if I have to go out and there's a, a case? Uh, what are they going to have me do? Because we're not supposed to be out on the road. Uh, the, the roads were basically like an ice rain. So much snow out, you know, for Alabama, that's a big thing. I'm not saying it was a blizzard like in New York or anything, but for us, it was it was pretty serious. And um, I just remember being really nervous and afraid what's going to happen. And it happened. I I got a call around like one in the, in the a.m., like 1 a.m. from the police department. And they were saying that it was a child, foster child that had been out on the run. 
for months and they finally caught up with her. Uh, they had her down to the police station and they're like, we need a social worker to come out. <laughs> they didn't know what to do. You know, what, what do you want us to do? And I remember um, in one in the morning, getting out of bed, calling my supervisor, uh, who was actually at that time the director. And she was like, I'm sorry, the car, you're gonna have to go out. And I was like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, uh, can't go out on the road. I'm like, if something happens to my car, insurance is not gonna cover it because they've already put it out and we're not supposed to be out on the road. So I just called back the police officer and I was like, hey, I'm the on-call worker. Is it possible that somebody can come out and get me? I'm actually around the corner bring me to the police station for the child. And they were like, yeah, we'll send somebody out. So they sent an officer out. He came and got me, picked me up, took me to the station. And there she was sitting there in shorts and a thin jacket. Um, They said she was out in the cold doing God knows what. And um, I had to find somewhere for her to go because her mother did not want her to come back home. They had tried to reach the mother. about coming to get her or them bringing her out there. And the mother was like, no, y'all can keep her. (laughs) I don't want her. Uh, So we had to find somewhere for this child to go. So I had to call around to a number of facilities uh, as well as wake up the judge at that time um, and and get a verbal order from him to put her in in a group home here in Lee County. And I had to wake him up. Like literally, <laughs> he woke up out of his bed. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I got to get uh, a, a verbal uh, order from you over the phone. So he literally swore me in over the phone. Like, wow. yeah, raise your right hand, get somebody to witness you, raise your right hand. And he swore me in. I told him the situation. He was like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll give you a, a verbal um, uh, court order to do it. Then after that, she didn't have any items. She had nothing with her. Uh, So we had to find her some items to go with her to the group home. And then myself, the officer, and the young lady got into the cruiser. And we slowly, I mean, we were sliding on ice all the Mm. way to the home. And the police officer, I'll never forget, he was bald-headed. I looked over and his head was wet. He was sweating. (laughs) I said, you okay? And he was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, okay. And she's in the back holding on for dear life. We slid all over that place, but we got there and we got her in. I didn't get home till like six that morning. They dropped me back home. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah, that's that. I know that was very, <laughs> very memorable there. So, you know, with stuff like that and you have to take it home, I mean, yeah. you know, how do you decompress? How do you, you know, when it when it comes to stuff like that, what do you do to, you know, kind of clear your mind? At that time, I did not know what to do. Um, child welfare is not going to faint a heart. You're going to see a lot of suffering and trauma and dysfunction in the child and the family and everybody that's involved in it. And the crazy thing about it is, is that they think you're the problem for calling it out. They think it's normal what they're doing. You're the crazy one for thinking that it's not normal. So um, I didn't know what to do. Child welfare really changed my moods and my my um, my view of life, you know, because I saw what people that you wouldn't expect to do anything to a child, if the, the people you least expect 
that would do something to a kid. I'm not talking about somebody that looks like a pedophile. This is somebody who's in position. They wear a suit. <laughs> They're oh clean God. cut. They drive oh a nice God. car. And they're just as courteous and charming and nice as they want to be. And then you read the case of what they did to their own child. It's like, oh, my God, I would have mm. never thought. So it changed my outlook of life, um, of humility towards people. You know, I just thought people were just evil. I was like, oh, my God, people are so wow. evil. Wow. So, I, I, there were a lot of uh, family and friends interventions that I went through. My family hated it. My family absolutely hated me working in child welfare because they were like, you have changed. You're angry. You know, you're mad all the time. And that's because I was stressed. And you're just looking at trauma all the time. Sometimes I would come home and I just didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, I lost friendships. I lost a relationship because I just didn't want to talk. I, I would spend forever texting people back. It'd be days and weeks later that I would answer back to a simple text and they would get upset with me. And I'm like, they don't understand. I'm tired. You're in people face all day, listening to their problems. You're dealing with ranges of emotions and trauma. So when you get home, you just want to relax, you know? Um, so I had a hard time turning. I definitely had a hard time turning off being a DHR worker. And even after I left DHR and came to work at Tuskegee, it still took me a while to come out of that role. Mm -hmm. It took me about mm -hmm. two years to come out of that child welfare oh. role. Wow. Wow. That's serious. 24 hours, 24 hours. I was used to being a DHR worker. And a lot of times my supervisor, she would, she would talk to me like, you got to learn how to turn it off. Um, I made a mistake of giving my my uh, clients and my cases my cell number. I made that mistake. <laughs> and I, it got to mm. a point I had to my number because they would call me late at night. You know, I got this problem. I'm like, you need to call the on-call worker. I can't help you with that right now. You know, it's like mm. 12 in the morning. <laughs> or they find me on social media and they type out this whole thing of what's going on in their case. And I'm like, you need to call the on-call worker about that. So, uh, yeah, it was difficult. Ooh. It was. It sounded. It sound, It sounded like it. But oh, we. That is some <laughs> serious, serious stuff. Wow, wow! Thank you so much for sharing that with us, though. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this: Do you think that uh, child welfare, social work, is on the rise? It needs to be. It it needs to be. Um, I don't know if it is because when people get it, I'm telling you, when we worked there, when I worked at DHR, um, there were some people that did it. They stayed for years. There's, I know people that were there when I was there. They're still there, you know, but I saw people quit like in two weeks. <laughs> like, mm. like, I can't tell mm. this. They quit mm. doing lunch. You know, they're like, have you seen so-and-so? <laughs> and I'm like, no, nah, they're like, she ain't ever come back from lunch. We go in her office and her badge, her phone and everything is on the desk. She's gone. Um, so people don't really understand what they're getting into until they really get on the job. And it's not for everybody, but it needs to be on the right because you got so many kids out here. Oh my God, they were dealing with so many things. Uh, we talked about it in my class during the pandemic, how many reports of child abuse were gone undetected and unreported because those kids were not in school. 
they were at home. And majority of the time when they're at home, they're probably at home with the person that's abusing them. Oh my. And any kind of form of child abuse, whether it be physical, sexual, uh, emotional, whatever, um, whether it be medical neglect, they're probably at home with the person that's uh, abusing them. So majority of our cases used to come from school. A lot of those come from school. Uh, those, I mean, teachers would report anything. Anything they see, they're going to report it. Because uh, mm. once you come in that position, you're a mandate reporter. But, you know, during the pandemic, so many things were, you know, weren't reported because nobody knew what was going on. Uh, but, yeah, it's a lot of kids, as we speak right now, that's being abused. And nobody knows. Nobody knows mm. anything going on so mm. it needs to be on the rise children are considered our vulnerable population um and I, like i said before it's people that you would least expect i mean people in church police officers teachers really really yes yes, <laughs> yes that are doing things to children that you're like oh my god um i've seen cases of the actual father inappropriately touching his children, you know, mm. Mm. you know, so that's so it, sad. That's so it is. sad. It, it is. It is. So it needs to be on the rise. Um, it needs to be something um, that needs to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 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 Miss Daniel, Miss Daniel, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, because, whoo. I mean, I could just sit here and listen to you and listen to you because you got something to say. You really do. But but let me, but let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You know, what's something that you would tell students or professionals about how to successfully, you know, chart their career in social work? And and, Um, and then, and then, you know, I want to know why social work is a good career choice. Oh, why not social work? I, I love um, social work. I really do. I got into it because of my mother. You know, I, those cases I told you about, when we used to go to the grocery store with my mom in Tuskegee. used to be a store called Big Bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, mm-hmm. uh, Calvin Foods. We used to go with my mom there. And I remember, I'm going to be very honest with you, I remember um, drug addicts, drug dealers, Mm-hmm. people that you probably would run from come up and hug my mom and tell her, you know, I thank you for helping me. Thank you for helping my wow. child be wow. in there for me. I remember it. I didn't understand what it meant then, but now I get it now. Like mm-hmm. I told my brother, I was like, mom was making impact, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. she's making mm-hmm. impact. Um, you know, my mom died. I'm People are supposed to console me and I'm consoling them. So wow. I I think that was one of the big reasons why I wanted to become a social worker. But a lot of things that I tell my students that I learned is, um, number one, you got to have a heart for social work. It's not for the faint at heart. It really isn't. It's not an easy career. People think that, you know, I ask my students, why why social work? And they're like, oh, well, I I like to talk to people. And I'm like, really? Yeah. You know, Miss Daniels, why not? I like to talk to people. I like to help people. And I'm like, okay, so... What are you going to do in a situation where you're dealing with a client that does not want your help <laughs> and they right. they your help? You know, are you going to still like it then? Are you going to still like it when that client 
cusses you out to start calling you names <laughs> other mm. than what um, named you are you still gonna love it then so you know you you gotta have a heart for social work um and child welfare is not the only area in social work there's so many areas to work in but you gotta understand that you're working with people and with people they come different things therefore you gotta be adaptable and flexible to everything so it's not for the faint at heart so you gotta have a heart for it um you gotta want to do it um and i Secondly, I tell them a lot to get a seasoned social worker as a mentor, somebody that's been in the game for a while that can kind of give you some advice and navigate you um, to, you know, what's going to help you advance in your career. Also, figure out what target population you want to work with. What are you most pop passionate about? Um, and there's so many things out there that you can get into, but what are you passionate about? Because I believe that if you have a career, you have a job, you need to love what you do. It's mm -hmm. nothing mm -hmm. worse than going to work every day and you really don't want to be there. That's right. <laughs> you that's know? that's so, right. That's right. That's right. Uh, having a passion. And uh, another thing I tell them that I'm learning myself is so important to network. So important mm -hmm. to network. Because uh, majority of what you need, like I tell them, majority of what you need is going to come from somebody else. So be pleasant, be nice, meet people, introduce yourself. When people like you, they're willing to help you. And a lot of my success came from people who wanted to help me, people that I that I got with and said, hey, I, I see this opportunity. I think you would be wonderful for it. You know, people that thought about me, Dr. Jones, uh, my other boss, uh, Eunice Samuel, who was like, hey, I see something in you and I think this would be good for you. Wow. Around you who want to see you win and people that's going to help you because majority of your success, you know, like I tell them all the time, I said, everybody got a bachelor's and master's in social work, y'all. They coming out every year. What makes you different? You know, I'm not telling you to, you know, it's people, but, but I'm just saying, you know, mm -hmm. uh, get around people who want to see you succeed and you never know who can help you. You never know who can take you to that next level that you desire and, and dream to go to. You really don't. And it's it's crazy to me because I come in contact with people who got multiple degrees. They've written books. They've written all these articles. They've done all these wonderful things and they don't know how to build relationships and connections with people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I do, like, I do understand that. Why don't I like me? And I'm like, because you don't have any people skills. <laughs> you don't have any people skills. Right. So I tell them that, you know. Be nice. Evidently, evidently you're doing something right. Evidently you're doing something right. You know, you the I'm Tuskegee. You, 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 you the Tuskegee University Department of Social Work Helping Hands and Heart Award winner. Tell us a little oh, bit yeah. about that. Oh, that was unexpected. That was so unexpected. You know, I I really enjoy what I do. So I, like I told Dr. Jones, I really don't need rewards and accolades because I enjoy what I do. But for her and the students to think about me, that really made my day. I, that was so unexpected and so wonderful. So I was very, very thankful for that. Um, wow. That award. That's a that's a that's a good thing. I mean, you know, you you already talked about like, you know, it's all about 
meeting people is all about relationships. And uh, one thing, one thing I always learned, when you learn to love your job, you'll never have to work again. I mean, listen, listen. And, you know, I understand that greatly. I understand that greatly. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anyone you'd like to thank? Uh, You know, you want to give a shout out to or anything? Oh, so many people. So many people. First of all, God, for allowing me the opportunity to do what I love and do it for him and do it for my students. I really thank the Lord for that Um, because I never imagined in a million years that I would be teaching at the university that I was born at, played up and down the steps at, and then later graduated from. So I, I thank God for that. I thank my mom, even though she's no longer with us, for just being an example of a woman um, that took care of us, all four of us. I still don't know to this day how my mom was able to put four children through college, one a social worker, two social workers, and soon to be an FBI agent. Uh, uh, my sister is a nurse and my brother, um, an accounting major who uh, also graduated from Tuskegee University. I'm like, how did Ma do that as a single woman? So I mm. think her is taking care of all of us and being an example and never giving up on us. And I definitely Dr. Jones for giving me an opportunity. Um, she didn't even know me, but she has so much belief in me, more than I think I do myself. She and my other boss, um, Ms. Samuel, Eunice Samuel, just pushing me and believing in me. And I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. And they're like, yes, you can. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> so them believing in me, um, my students for just always being so sweet and loving and also pushing me to do more things and being an inspiration to me. I always tell them they think they're teaching me. They think I'm teaching them, but really they're teaching they're teaching me. Um, I would even say uh, Dr. Francis Taylor, who was the, uh, the director chair in social work when I was at Tuskegee. And Dr. Uh, Taylor was hard on us, but I thank him for being that for us because it it helped us to become better social workers. Ms. Eva uh, Goodwin, who was my inspir- other inspiration in social work, she was my professor when I was at Tuskegee. And really all the skills that they bragged on at DHR that I had, I'm like, I learned that from Ms. Goodwin. I learned that from Ms. Goodwin. I stayed around Ms. Goodwin all day. Even when I wasn't in class, I was in her office. Mm. Um, and she, was, she was grooming me for this. She don't know it, but she did. And then Ms. Fitzpatrick, Denise Fitzpatrick, who was our secretary, Ms. Uh, Fitzpatrick has always had my back. She's always looked out for me. And I'm just thankful all my friends my family, my brother, Chancey Daniel, uh, who just recently graduated from Alabama State with his second master's. Um, and he is also a throat and lung cancer survivor. And just him pushing me, you know, after my mom died, we just, we glued together. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot Good of people. Deal. I'm so Good glad. deal. I mean, you know, evidently, evidently, there was a lot of people who who paved the way to help you get to where you wanted to be, and that's a that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And for you to be able to latch on like glue to them and learn what you've learned, that is absolutely wonderful. Now, what I need for you to do, even uh-huh. though this is a podcast, this is all uh, audible, you know. Um, 
you know, nothing is visual, but I want you to figuratively, you know, look into the camera to everybody who's listening to you. And then we want everybody who's listening to Miss Daniel to get mm-hmm. close to your apparatus because I want Miss Daniel, I want you to give your final thoughts to all the listeners that are listening to you right now. Oh, wow. Oh, that's powerful. I'm about to tear up. <laughs> that's powerful. I would um, I would tell anybody that's listening that there are going to be times when whatever it is that you dream to do or you want to be or where you want to go, there are going to be times when it's going to feel impossible. There's going to be obstacles that's going to come your way. There's going to be people that's going to come and tell you you can't do it. Um, but you can, you can, you got to, uh, dig deep and the way to get to where you're trying to go in my belief is, uh, and I, I hope I'm not getting in trouble when I say this, it's first a relationship with, with God It's a relationship with Christ. And the word says that, that man, um, if man can't do it, but God can do the impossible. And I believe that if you stay in prayer, you don't have to make the, the thing about life is people think that when life is going to be a straight line and it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be a straight line. It's going to be some valleys. It's going to be some mountains. It's going to be some blockages. It's going to be some things that you're going to have to go through to get to where you want to go. But I believe that if you stay in prayer, and if you believe in yourself and believe that it's possible for you, you can get there. Um, make sure that you are surrounded by people who believe that you can get there and they want to help you uh, get there. But whatever it is that you put your mind to, you can can do it. You can. You do what you can and give the rest to God. And that's pretty that's- much how my life. <laughs> hey, listen, listen, let me tell you something. No, you're not getting in trouble for saying anything. It's good to know God, but it's even better to make him known. And yeah. you're doing just that. And I mean, yeah. you know, when you're telling these people to believe, yes, you yeah. got to believe. And those who truly, truly believe the how-to will follow very closely. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. However, Miss Daniel, on the flip side of that now, those who say they believe and in the back of their mind, they don't think it's going to work. Then it becomes nothing but a wish. Hey, listen, listen, listen. This is your boy Croft. I'm so happy. I've had a great, great time this evening with Miss Daniel. I want to thank everybody. Thank you so much for your time this time. And until the next time, I hope it's better than the last. And as my dad would always say, you're never out of business when you mind your own. This is your boy Croft. We'll holler at you later. Peace. Yay. Thank you so very much for tuning into the Child Welfare Raising Awareness Podcast. This is the podcast, y'all, that keeps you in the know about all things child welfare. Oh, it was a great time and we look forward to seeing you next time for another mind-stimulating conversation. And until then, remember y'all, we strive for perfection, but if we have to settle, we only settle for excellence. This is your boy Crawl. We'll talk to you later. Peace.